Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Tianwei. With the latest rounds of face-to-face -face meetings between officials from the cabinet and also from the parliament, China and the United States, many hope this will be paving the way for the potential of better quality of communications between the two countries. Meanwhile, the quality of scholarly exchanges between the two sides is being ever more appreciated by both countries and societies. So what is the state of China-U.S. relations now leading up to the year 2024? And what can be done in between? Today, I'm going to have a conversation with two prominent scholars from China and the U.S. Professor Yu Jiejun from Peking University and Scott Kennedy from CSIS. What a pleasure to see both of you. Nice Great to be here with you. What do you make of the latest rounds of exchanges between China and the United States when it comes to high level of governments? Scott. So I, I think uh, what we've seen from both governments is a recognition that over the last few years, the relationship's been heading in a very dark direction and economic decoupling and people-to-people uh, -people estrangement, and that that was not a foundation for uh, either society or the world. And both sides, I think, you know, it's the American language, but I think it's true uh, that uh, decide that they want to build some guardrails uh, and a, a foundation under the relationship to at least stabilize it, not necessarily lead to a great deal of cooperation, but stabilize things. And I think the, the, the series of visits uh, that we've had uh, several U.S. cabinet secretaries going to China. We had Commerce Minister Wang Wentao visit the U.S., Han Zheng visit New York. Uh, there uh, could be uh, additional uh, visits of senior officials and, of course, potentially the top leaders meeting uh, in November on the sidelines of, of APEC. Uh, those uh, meetings will not solve problems, but you're certainly not going to solve problems if you don't talk to each other. And so I think at least getting to be able to directly explain what your positions are, better understand the motivations and origins of the other side's positions, to look for any inkling of common ground. To me, that holds out the possibility of going from this fragile stabilization to something that might be more enduring. But I still think, you know, I'm still very, very worried about the overall trajectory of the relationship. Mm. Tejun. What about your assessment of the latest rounds of uh, uh, communications and meetings between the two sides? Uh, yes, the uh, latest uh, rounds of uh, communications, uh, visitings of uh, high-level officials or cabinet members, I think is uh, extremely good uh, for warming up of the bilateral relations. It's a very difficult bilateral relations, you know, uh, as the, the first and the second largest economy in the world, uh, uh, it's hard to uh, get along with. But so long as we, uh, the top leaders, can communicate with each other, can work together, I think that's uh, should be welcome. Certainly, those uh, should be welcomed. At the same time, though, we are heading toward a year of uh, could be quite a political disturbance. Uh, uh, for example, the election year in the United States, uh, the world is watching very closely. And now there are many things happening on the political scene in Washington, Scott. Will these uh, interactions between the two sides really pave a way to prepare for all the disturbances, to say the least, for next year? 
certainly 2024 will have a, a lot of 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 drama uh politically in the United States my sense actually is is that those uh political races um uh, are going to create a lot of noise but their substantive effect will be relatively minor uh particularly in the in the United States I I think you know there are a range of opinions in the United States about China and and even those that have a more skeptical worried view about China those are heartfelt worries those are positions which are not adopted purely out of political calculation and I think actually the Republicans and Democrats uh share a variety of different points of view view and concerns and and so the election will be noisy China will be discussed a lot uh but I think uh China America's China policy is primarily born out of analysis of its interests and its position in the world and its desire to protect uh the the rules-based international order so yes a lot of noise uh but it will be imperative for uh cooler heads to to think clearly about the relationship and I think the scholarly exchange can only help in that kind of level-headed thinking Tianjin mm. what about that uh, hopefully, you know, so, uh, the general elections of uh, the United States uh, uh, do not much harm to the bilateral relations. Um, you know, there's uh, domestic politics we are watching, uh, but we hope, you know, uh, the China-U.S. relations would not become a target. But uh, are you prepared for the worst from a scholar's perspective? Okay, uh, that's why we want to stabilize uh, the bilateral relations nowadays uh, by the people-to-people -people exchange. We want to build up the basis, uh, you know, to uh, the bilateral relations uh, to prepare for the stormy water. Now I have noticed that uh, both the terminologies and description of logics in this bilateral relations, as well as uh, uh, the rhetorics, of course, between the two sides, are so different and almost uh, going to uh, two different directions. And therefore, um, many of the terminologies used by uh, both of you even in describing the situation can be debated one by one, and therefore making the conversation ever more difficult and challenging, a real conversation to listen to each other. Of course, you are very patient in listening to each other. You know each other and you trust in the quality of communication. But what about in politics? You know, I understand, you know, the U.S. description of the relationship is um, about strategic competition. Uh, uh, Xi Jinping has emphasized the importance of mutual respect, win-win and, and uh, peaceful uh, coexistence. Uh, yes, those descriptions are the same, are, are quite different. The U.S. primarily puts the blame on China. China puts the blame on, on the U.S. Actually, I think these are relatively similar uh, echo chambers uh, that actually share a lot in common uh, with, each, with each other. I would say the scholarly exchange has helped break through some of those uh, opinions, which are one-sided. I think both sides share a lot of responsibility in the direction of the relationship. Uh, you can put more or less blame on one side or the other, but this is a dynamic, interactive uh, relationship that is, explains why we've we've gotten there. And you know, I think the visits from uh, members of Congress, from the executive branch officials, from scholars, uh, provide an opportunity to get beyond those very simplistic descriptions to get and and really delve into issues. And then I, I think that 
helps uh, reduce some of the misunderstanding. Again, it doesn't necessarily bridge the differences and eliminate them, but it, it provides a, a greater context to understand them. And then maybe opportunities to figure out how to manage those differences. So I think broadly speaking, although we do have uh, a deep economic relationship and, and reasons to cooperate on climate and health, I think the biggest challenges are going to be having how we manage those very significant differences going forward. And I think the extensive communication is is part of that. It does require patience. It's not easily summarized in a headline. Uh, but through programs like yours, I think that's really valuable to get people to uh, listen to the other in a thoughtful way. Well, thank you for that. I am keen together with my colleagues, of course, in order to make it happen under the current circumstances. Go to you, Tiejun, the same question. I think it's country to country relationships, just a human relationship. Uh, if I, I think I can uh, communicate freely and, uh, you know, uh, friendly with, uh, with Scott, <laughs> I think, you know, we can uh, make an effort to uh, try to, 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 to make the bilateral relations also uh, behave in this way. Uh, you know, uh, we, uh, we we can we can uh, we can uh, agree with the disagree uh, to accept the diversity and work together to you know in this uh, turbulent uh, uh, time, uh, you know, to stabilize the world. I, I think China, the United States, uh, plays uh, you know uh, the most important maybe rules uh, areas of peaceful uh, nowadays, not only for their own interest but also for the world. You know, whether it is the Middle East conflict, the Russian-Ukraine crisis, or it is the uh, use of local currencies by the developing economies, how, how do you see South-South cooperation and many other things? Uh, how do you see the differences of opinions on these global and uh, uh, security issues elsewhere in the world likely to have an impact on the current discussion of these bilateral relations? China has initiated, you know, the three uh, initiatives, global uh, development uh, initiatives, global security uh, initiatives, global civilization initiatives, although it's uh, still quite, uh, you know, we need more to implement or to explain this kind of uh, initiatives to the, to the outside world. But I do think China want to stabilize, want to keep the stability in the you know turbulent world and uh, we need to uh, coordinate and cooperate with the united states uh, the, the you know the most powerful country still in the world uh if we cannot work together or cannot work well and i think most of the things uh, around the world uh, including what you have mentioned all those things you know the economic uh, re uh revival the climate change you know the local uh you know conflict uh, you know, the Ukraine, uh, uh, Russell, uh, conflict and Middle East nowadays ongoing, uh, uh, you know, conflict, war actually. And all these things cannot be solved. Uh, and even the international organizations like uh, the United Nations kind of work well without the coordination between these two countries. So that's why I think why the bilateral relations is uh, so important. Mr. Kennedy. Besides the bilateral issues that the U.S. and China face on on trade, on security, on, on human rights. Uh, there are bigger issues at stake beyond that. Uh, President Biden and others have, have mentioned it. We have uh, sort of different visions of the international order writ large regarding uh, security institutions, uh, economic regimes, uh, etc. 
um, whether it's about the UN system or other parts of, of, of the international order, um, there's some overlap, but there's also significant differences. And of course, as you mentioned, there are regional hotspots uh, from areas in Asia uh, to the Middle East uh, to elsewhere, where the US and China will make a big difference for the better or for the worse. Uh, and our communication with each other, whether it's working together to find solutions or figuring out how to manage our differences um, to keep problems from getting worse is is going to be critical. Again, regardless of whether we are, are the best of friends or the most severest of foes, the communication that Professor Yu, our colleagues on both sides are encouraging is about trying to make it so that we can try to reduce the level of, of misunderstanding, increase our ability to cooperate where we can, uh, and, and just simply ed educate our, our publics and our, our, our policy communities as well. I think that's a public service which he and I are both committed to. Big congratulations to the success of the academic exchanges between Peking University and also many other professors coming from China and meanwhile the U.S. Uh, uh, delegation of uh, experts and scholars. You guys made it happen. Your program started earlier in the summer this year when the atmosphere of the bilateral relations was as unpredictable as one could imagine. Much more much harsher, shall I say, apparently at least, than what it is today. So what made you to have the guts and also to wisdom to make it happen? Professor Yu. Uh, yes, uh, Tim, as you just mentioned, uh, you know, um, uh, the China-U.S. relations uh, has not been very good in recent years. Uh, that created many difficulties uh, for the bilateral academic exchange, uh, you know. Uh, uh, for both sides. So with that in mind, uh, how to do uh, to uh, reduce this kind of uh, barriers um, to continue and to speed up the scholarly exchange between these two countries come to, come up to our minds. Uh, I think that's uh, our mission for the university scholars and also think tanks uh, to do something to improve the situation. How did you come up with the idea, Mr. Kennedy, and what was the process like working with your Chinese counterpart, who you have known for decades? Again. Uh, sure, sure. I mean, this uh, really began uh, in late 2021, uh, when in the middle of the pandemic and there, when, when there was absolutely zero travel, talking with um, uh, UTA Jun's colleague, Wang Ji Se, about a one-on-one -on -one exchange uh, of visits, which uh, he and I undertook in 2022 uh, to break the ice. Uh, but really, the measure of success is is having a revival of the scholarly communities in both directions, and not only being able to travel, but to do that type of research, which is really important to increase understanding. Uh, and so just through discussions back and forth, CSIS and, and, and Beida decided to launch this collaboration. We both recruited scholars from both sides who hadn't been able to travel as a result of the pandemic and were worried about travel because of geostrategic anxieties and other types of worries about about leaving their own country and we were able to successfully persuade uh, a good uh, top flight 
group of scholars from from both countries uh and uh then and henceforth had the meeting in Beijing in early July and just uh recently here in Washington DC uh I think the the meetings were a huge success I remember early in the summer sitting in a beautiful meeting hall as small as it could be possible because it make people feel very intimate it was a very um uh, impressive building of Peking University uh, dated back uh, quite some hundreds of years ago. And just sitting there, looking at the faces coming from both sides, a lot of enthusiasm, excitement, but also people, you can tell, they are worried about a subject that they have been working so much on, which is studies of each other. So, uh, Scott, when you were there, you know, as the how shall I say, as the one who led the delegation for the, uh, for the two rounds of discussion from the U.S. side, how did you communicate with your colleagues? It was amazingly, surprisingly easy. You know, as, as I mentioned, in 2022, we took uh, trips which broke the ice. In July, in the meeting in, in Beijing, uh, there was no ice to break. It wasn't because Beijing was so hot, which it was. Um, we were all sweating. Uh, but it was because uh, we we quickly realized that we're part of the same scholarly community and we face very similar kinds of challenges. And so people say, you know, you travel to China and you don't ever get the truth or, or differences of opinion. We found lots of that very quickly. Now, of course, this was a fully private conversation. Uh, and so people felt comfortable to do that. But it was it was amazing, and I I was just watching in in awe of the 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 depth of the interchange. And I think scholars everywhere really yearn for a time when we don't have those outside forces like a global pandemic or geostrategic tensions or political constraints, which really limit the type of work that we want to do, which is explore knowledge, share that with students and the public. And I think people were just so relieved. To, to have uh, been worried and then discovered that there's this community in the other place that really has the same concerns and hopes as you. Tie Jun, I saw the pictures you took together with your colleagues when you were traveling to Washington, D.C. for the latest round of uh, academic exchanges with Scott's uh, colleagues and himself, of course, uh, as well. So what was it like for you to travel to the U.S.? And what was it like to sitting there, to sit there, and for a real discussion in the U.S. Capitol, which of course there are many other political things going on in the same city. Yes, uh, you know um, we do have a sense of a community uh, at the second round of meetings uh, held at the beautiful building of uh, CSIS. I think based on the the concern of uh, you know how to proceed, how to promote. Uh, the academic exchange under the current, uh, you know, uh, geostrategic rivalry between, uh, especially between China and the United States, it makes it extremely difficult to do uh, research, uh, especially related to, uh, for instance, uh, for American scholars, China related China studies, and for uh, Chinese scholars, American studies. You know, I I, I believe both sides actually uh, uh, the scholars. Uh, feel a little bit uh, worried uh, when they before uh, they uh, uh, went to the other countries 
uh, crossing the border uh, uh, with the investigation uh, of the uh, border uh, officials. Uh, but when we sit there, and after one and a half days, uh, you know, extensive discussion and the one and a half days, you know, uh, 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 keynote speech from different branches of the government, uh, I think we uh, did uh, great success uh, in the scholarly exchange. So if you were having the opportunity talking to officials, uh, drawing policy from both sides about academic and people-to-people -people exchanges, what would you say, Scott? First is, is that uh, these scholarly exchanges, academic exchanges, universities, think tanks, students, uh, university officials, and others are are important and in the self-interest of, of both countries and the rest of the world, not primarily because it will breed uh, peace and agreement and cooperation across the board, but, but it will increase understanding. And the U.S. and China need to better understand each other, regardless of whether we're friends or foes. And ignorance is just not a good foundation for smart policy, regardless of what that policy is going to be. So that's the most important thing that officials need to understand, is that making life easier for scholars and students is in their country's self-interest. The second is that they can take a couple practical steps. First, just make it easier to travel. Ticket prices are way too high. There are not enough flights. It takes too long to get visas. Some people can't get visas who, who should get them. Uh, and then when you're in the field, you need to be able to do your work. You need to be able to collect data uh, and you need to be able, and the people that you, if you are interviewing people, they not, should not feel afraid that they're be talking to you. If you buy books or other types of documents, you should be able to be able to do that. You should be able to free feel like you're not under a watchful eye because you're doing something that's suspect. And so I think both governments could do things which reassure the scholarly communities uh, on both sides, I'm most concerned about young people and, and students. As you know, the number of students from China has dropped dramatically in the United States. It's still extremely high, but it's dropped a lot. And the number of American students on the ground in China is so, so small. There's there's no more Ch American students in China than when I was a student in China in the late 80s, 35 years ago. And if you want the U.S., to get along with China, just from China's self-interest. They want to make it as easy as possible for Americans to learn about China, which involves going to China. Now, over the past few years, your life could become much more quiet, quote unquote, uh, as a result of the cooling down of the relations between the two countries. What do you make of this difference personally? And how are you adjusting and digesting uh, China got uh, became easier place to live because it developed, uh, and there was still a great deal of curiosity amongst Chinese and Americans were amazingly curious about China. And I think that period lasted all the way up through the the 2008 Olympics and maybe a year or two beyond that. But over the last decade, I think there's been growing concern amongst Americans and Westerners about China's direction. Uh, also, as China's economy has slowed, and we've had the pandemic concerns that you know focusing on business in China, that that may not yield a fantastic career. Um, and, and so I think that there's been a, a drawing back and that that's concerning. Uh, I'm not trying to persuade people that their uh, worries are totally unjustified. There are reasonable, there are greater risks, but there's also great rewards uh, in, in learning about another part of the world, which is critically important, which is very complex, which is not easily summarized in a headline 
in whether it's the New York Times or the People's Daily, uh, and that there there is much to learn, and that and that there's a huge responsibility for us to take on on, on that challenge. It's a different proposition than before, but it's it's still attractive to some. And I actually am am honored that we still have a lot of people that apply to be interns at CSIS. I I encounter lots of graduate students and even undergraduates still curious about China, but it's it's not the same as it as it was. Um, and and you know. Times have changed. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Thank you.